Amen. What time is it? That was weak. What time is it? Let's get it. We are back in Galatians chapter 4. We got 20 verses this morning. Got some work to do. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 through 20. Galatians 4, verse 1 through 20. Amen. Let's, let's get to it. Reads as follows. I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is owner of everything, but he is under the guardian and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because we are sons and daughters, that's both there, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, thank you, Jesus, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years, but I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You, you know it was because of my bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and through my condition was a trial to you. You did not scorn me or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but they make much of you, but but for no good purpose, they want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for who I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could present with you now or be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This morning I want to talk about family values. Number one, sons and daughters. Number two, do better. Number three, a boost for gospel ministers a boost for gospel ministers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you 
for the sufficiency of your word. Thank you that your word is enough. Thank you that it is not my role now to entertain or to stimulate. It is my role to unleash the living word of God and let it do what only your word can do, empowered by your spirit through human instrumentation. Father, stand in me and speak your word to your folk. You know what they came in here with. You know the burdens they carry. You know the joy they are experiencing. You know the confusing points of their life. You see their pattern of love for you and their pattern of sin against you. I pray that you would expose it and that you would coach your people back to remembering who their first love is. Lord, we're family this morning, whether we know it or not, so knit us together in love, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Family values. If you are here, we're doing something that many churches don't do. We're just walking through a book of the Bible. And the temptation is, when walking through the book of the Bible, is, is kind of say, oh man, is he still in Galatians? What chapter is he on? How long are we going to go through this? I want you, and some of you all have come back and told me, nah, Pastor Rod, this is, I'm learning things about just the book that I've never seen before. I'm amazed by how when I stare in it, I get stuff that I, I, I never would have thought of. So some of you all are blessed by it. Some of you all may be struggling with the routine of going back to the same book week in and week out. We have four more weeks. I pray what we're building in this time for you is, is, is restraining your conditioning of toiling with Scripture. I'm, I'm praying against people that just say, all right, what's my verse for today? Nothing wrong with that. But if you just say, oh, man, I, I'm, I'm a little confused. Let me find verses on confusion. Or I'm struggling with temptation. Let me find verses on temptation. My prayer is that you can sit and eat a whole book and suck all the nutrients that need to come out of there so that it changes and affects your life, that you go to God, not as a butler to say, or go to the Bible, not as a butler to say, all right, this is what I need today, give it to me. But you go as a student to study the words of God because he has something to say to us. So Paul has been doing that. Paul has been laying out gospel truth to them. He's been telling them good gospel doctrine. Doctrine just means what is taught. And Paul has been laying out the idea that anytime you add anything to the gospel, I want to say that over and over again, anytime you add anything to the gospel, it becomes no gospel at all. We've talked about Jesus plus anything else equals nothing, but Jesus plus nothing equals everything, meaning Jesus is all we need for salvation. We talked about how some of us come from churches that wanted to add stuff to the gospel and add your dress code to the gospel and add your works righteousness to the gospel. But we said Jesus is all we need for salvation. 
We've said stuff like, if you're going to believe the doctrine of justification and all that justification means, means to be declared righteous, if you're going to believe that, you have to believe at least two things. Number one, you cannot save yourself. Now, this may be a news flash for some, but it's true anyway. You don't have enough in you to save yourself. And number two, if Jesus does not save you, you won't be saved. No amount of religious activity is going to save you. No amount of giving is going to save you. No amount of your works is going to save you. If Jesus don't save you, you won't be saved. We also have learned in in walking through Galatians that, that the stuff we should confront one another about should be gospel issues. Gospel is worth fighting for. And we see Paul confronting Peter, not not making any excuses, just head up confronting him because he was out of step with the gospel because of his racism. We also see that that Paul pulls no punches and he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you? Who Who have convinced you that you started off with faith, but now you think keeping the law is what's going to be sustaining for you? We've talked about the law, and we brought an illustration of books up here, and we said, you know, the law is powerless to change you. So then we said, okay, well, what's the purpose for the law? And and, and I just want to read this quote again to you. I thought it was so powerful. The purpose of the law was to lift the lid off of man's respectability, remember that? And disclose what he really what he is really underneath, sinful, rebellious, guilty, under God's judgment, and helpless to save himself, the law is to make you understand you are a hot, heated mess. Yeah, you are. Somebody say, I am. Just checking how far we are along as a church. Some of y'all like my husband is, but not me. You are undone in desperate need of redeeming. So then he says, okay, if the law is to expose um, that I am guilty, do we throw it away? No. The law is to be a guide. We said what, what, what God is after is a new kind of obedience. Not the obedience that says, oh, I have to pray. Oh, it's Sunday. I have to go to church. If I don't go to church, oh, goodness, what would people think? I, I have to give. If I don't give, everything's going to be bad. No, I have, no, it's not I have to. He's, he's after something deeper. Oh, but I got to read my Bible. They want to hold me accountable, so I got to. He's after something else than that. You don't even want friends like that. Well, I mean, I just, I just want to be with you. You know, I don't want you thinking. I just say, got to be here. No, what? Go away. Don't hang with me because you got to. Hang with me because you want to. That's what he's after. He's after a new kind of giving. Not a giving that is drudgery, a giving that is joyful. He's after a new kind of service, not, okay, they put me on planning center, I got to be here. (laughs) But no, get to, because I'm not serving you anyway, I'm serving him. 
Loving my neighbor not because I want to bump up my missional stats. Look how I'm engaged in my context, Pastor Rod. Look at me. Beastly. Look. No. Get to. Whether Pastor Rod hears about it or not. He's not after perfection. He's after growing in grace. And everybody is growing at other t- new times. It's, everybody don't grow at the same time. Somebody above this year, somebody above five years from now, when they sit in the same place here in the same teaching, under the same environment, but they grow differently. And God wants us to have grace with those that don't grow when we think they should grow, but because God is in them, they'll grow. So Paul has just been laying out for us this this theology of gospel and he's he's really culminating everything here in in Galatians chapter 4 because now he's going to talk about sons and daughters sons and daughters when I was teaching um, teachers you know this um, there's always something else you do uh, to make up the gap the, the financial gap yeah. is teaching after school teaching, bus duty, teaching, cafeteria duty, teaching, after school programs. And one year, um, I was teaching and um, tutoring children uh, that were orphanages, that were orphans at a group home. And I met a guy there, uh, one, of the, one of the kids there, his name was Gary. Great kid, sharp kid, smart, tough, could play basketball, Came very close to beating me one time. Just a, just, just, a, just a cool kid. And so we're sitting down, we finished tutoring, and we're just chopping it up. And I'm like, man, tell me what's up. T- tell me your story. And he starts laying it out how he was with his parents at one time, and parents got in a dispute, and, and dad did something stupid, so he got removed from the home, and, and then he's just been going from house to house to house to house, to house, to house, until he ended up at the group home. And he, and, and, and he said to me, he said, I can't stand foster parents because the first foster parent he had would abuse him physically. And, and it sent him so much into a shock that every time he went to a new home, he was, he was always awaiting the next abuse. No matter how nice the parents were, he, 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 he would say to himself, it's only a matter of time before they change because they don't want me. I'm an inconvenience to them. And so he would act out until he got kicked out. You see, Gary had lost all hope of ever being adopted. So he just said, I'll try to go to school. I'll wait till I age out of the system. I'll get whatever aid is given to me because this family thing is a fallacy. It's fake. So when we come to our text and Paul starts teaching us about adoption, we understand this is a weighty subject. What has happened to us is in many regards what has happened to Gary. Before meeting Christ, we were stuck in the slavery of sin, 
awaiting adoption. Before being rescued by him, we were, we, we were under the bondage of sin. We were, we were under the taskmaster, if you will, of sin and all that it brings to us. Even when we look at the law, the scriptures, they could not help us because we were powerless to keep the law. So maybe we said stuff like, that's what them church folk do. They got it together. Not me. I'm, I'm broken. And what the enemy does in a system like that is he, is he has a little MP3 player that he connects to your brain and drives certain thoughts over and over and over and over again. And, 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 and the track he's playing or the tracks he's playing is called shame and guilt. And so he draws you out to do something that you know is wrong. And then the minute you do it, he now pounces on your thought life with shame and guilt. See, I told you. Look how broken you are. Look how stupid you are. Look how you make the same mistakes over and over again. How can anyone love you? Not alone. God love you? Man, yo, your mama don't even love you. And he plays this track over and over and over again to us. And the scriptures tell us, verse 3 tells us, what this does is it brings us deeper into slavery. We are entrenched in our bondage because of sin. But Christ, but Jesus But the second person of the Trinity does not leave us there? Let me help you because you ain't got it yet. Maybe you don't realize how far you were from adoption. To go back to the story about Gary, maybe you had already aged out the system. What would it look like being you adopting a 40-year-old orphan, a 60-year-old orphan, and somebody comes in 60 years because you're so far removed and say, I still want to father you or mother you. Beloved, your sin had you far out from the hands of a God that wants to adopt you. But Jesus, I'm sorry, I don't get tired of playing that note. But Jesus comes in and rescues us. This is what the text teaches us. We've been not just redeemed, that's beautiful, we've been adopted. The cross was him drawing up adoption papers. His resurrection was him signing them. Him confirming that he's fully able to save you from all your sins that is good news he doesn't just save you to make you a christian he saves you to bring you into the family so you become sons and daughters so he's not just creator almighty god sustainer most powerful he's daddy <laughs> the guy i meet with his name is foy he's a friend of mine another pastor, and I'm meeting with him this week, and he comes and he gives me a big hug. Some people master in the art of hugs. I'm not one of them. 
but he's a master in it. So he's, hey, come here, Russ. And he comes, he's resting his face on it. And when this happens at Starbucks, it's a, it's a little bit awkward, you kind know, of a close embrace. And then so he, he comes and he gives me a hug, and then he goes in and he gets his drink from Starbucks, and he comes back out and sees me again. And here's what he says to me. He says, hey, Rod, that one was from me. This one is from Papa. And he comes and he, and he gives me a, another hug. It was awkward, but it was a good reminder. Hey, this one's not just from the master of the universe, the CEO of heaven, the person that runs everything and sustains everything. This one is from your daddy. You're in relationship. And when we're family, I can't, I can't write you out of my family. I can't even argue you out of my family. I can't even say things that get you disbarred from my family. When we're family, we're family, we're family. And the text says we, we cry, Abba, Father. We don't just say, Abba, Father. We, we cry, Abba, Father. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 15. It says this, For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. One of the ways we know we are believers is how we cry. And we don't just cry, Abba, Father, like, Abba, Father, you know. Let me say, Abba, Father. I see I'm a Christian because I said, Abba. No, we we cry, Abba, Father, as a baby does that's in need for their parents. Abba, Father, when, 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 when you're in trouble, what do you cry? When you don't know what to do, and I'm not talking about physical tears, I'm talking about uh, something that comes out of our spirit, a, a longing, a need, we're, we're under distress. What do you cry when you're under distress? Paul says, because we have been redeemed, we can cry, not just God, but Abba. And so we cry, Abba, Father. Jesus says this when he's in the garden and he's praying. He's saying, Abba, Father, let this cup pass. This is intimate relationship. And whether you know it or not, for those that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you have this privilege that you can cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, God, help. I don't know what to do. About to lose my mind. Help, Abba. I don't know my next step. Sometimes it's not always counseling. It's Abba. It's not drugs or alcohol. It's, it's Abba. Because he's able to meet your needs. Interesting facts. Did you know a baby cry matches its mother's language? A newborn child, just two or three days old, cries in a distinctive way, mimicking the sound of the child's mother. Each newborn baby has its own cry melody, a specific pattern of sounds that is unique to his or her own cry. I have a life group that meets at my house on Friday night, and we have kids in our life group, and sometimes one of the kids will cry. And when we hear a cry, we all don't get up and start running and say, is that my child, is that my child, is that my child? When we hear a cry, it's almost like you, parentally, you know your next step to do is to listen. 
Have you ever been in a room and the parents and the baby cries? If you don't have kids, you're like, that's stupid. You need to get up and see. But parents know, if I can, that ain't me. That ain't me. That's you, cuz. Beloved, you serve a God that when you cry, Chris, Angela, Jim, he has specific hearing to your own unique cry melody, and when you cry to God, he hears you. And he knows it's you and not the person next to you because he's your daddy and he knows you. This is why Paul says, not just that you know the Father, but you are known by the Father. It's not so much what you know about God, it's that God knows you. Paul is unpacking, and the fact that he knows you means we're family. Beloved, we are in this together. Hear me, GF, we are in this together. And the same way you got issues with your cousin, you're going to have issues with me. The same way you got issues with your auntie, you're going to have issues with me. We're in this together. And we're going to offend each other. We're going to step on each other's toes. And we're going to have come to Jesus moments. And we're going to have to have some face-to-face interaction. But we're family and we're in this together. And because we love Jesus, we should be able to weather the storms of our offense and transgressions against each other. This week, they're celebrating... Dr. Martin Luther King, 50 years after his assassination. And I am just so godly encouraged over what I've seen this week. I want to commend something to you. There's something called the Ethic and Religious Liberty Commission partnered this week with the Gospel Coalition and put on a conference, and the slide is on the back, called MLK 50. I want to encourage you. Because we are a church that is seeking to be multi-ethnic, meaning there should be people here from different races and ethnicities and people groups and cultures and kind. There should be Republicans and Democrats in this room together. Because we are going after that and we're intentional about that, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to these free videos that are on YouTube. And be blessed by keeping up with where we are as a nation as it relates to diversity and how far we've come in our unity together. Here's why. Because we're family. We're family. And so whatever prejudice needs to die in us, it needs to die because we're family. I was talking to a guy and somebody hit his car and he said, who hit my car? And he said, He's an African-American guy. He said, some older white woman hit my car. And I said, man, that might be an opportunity to share your faith. And without batting eye, he said, I ain't sharing my faith. She's not going to want to have, hear nothing I want to have to say to her. She's an old white woman. So now you let your racial barrier become a hindrance to sharing the gospel you say you believe. Be it far from us. Be it far from us. Amen. Well, because we're preaching like this, Paul is going to shift gears, and he's going to shift gears to something else. So I want to play a song to help me shift gears with Paul. Uh, Listen to this song I'm going to play by Jonathan McReynolds.
Thank you. Why don't you still better? Better? No, okay. <clears throat> I want to highlight <clears throat> the verse that made me play this song this morning. It says, so we all have fallen, fallen, but you can't stay on the ground for long, for long, for long. Because after a while, you'll start believing that recovery is not an option. And you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You can't undo what you did now, so take the clean slate that God allows, and tomorrow just do better, better, better. Paul has been laying for us this gospel-rich theology that says we're not saved by what we do, we're saved by what he's done. And he's labored in that for some three chapters, three and a half chapters now. He's about to switch gears, though. He's about to move from theology to application. He's about to move from doctrinal truths to duties and behavior. Here's why. Because if you are a person that loves the grace of God, like I do, and you want to say, oh man, all is forgiven and God's in control, then you have been living in bliss for this whole series. If you're a person that, is, that, that, that wants to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps or you come from a very religious background, you've been hating this series because you're like, when is Pastor Rao going to start talking about what we need to do and not just what God has done? Well, now Paul is going to switch it now from, from, from still talking about grace-motivated behavior, but he's going to begin to emphasize application. And so I want you to sense this shift, and I want to say to you for my second point, do better is not a bad word. Somebody say do better. Doing better is not a it's not a bad word, and, and if you ingest yourself in gospel uh, a theology, one of the things you may, the error that you can make is you can think, man, I don't have anything to do. Jesus did it all. I don't need to share my faith. He's going to save them. I don't need to give. He provides for ministry. I just need to, 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 to inhale and exhale. No, there's some stuff because he did it all. You need to do better. You're not doing better to earn your, no. You're doing better because he did his best. Because he gave you his best, you can do better. Now Paul's moving to that. And here's what he says. He's, he's a little bit upset in verse 8 because he's like, you mean y'all are going to get all of this gospel and then turn back into your sinful ways into your religious ways? Paul says, are you going back to legalism after I drenched you in gospel truth? Are you going back to these weak and worthless principles? See, here's the lie that we often believe. Some of us, we walk with Jesus in seasons. You walk with him, in, and so in this season, you're walking with the Lord. Oh, I'm on fire. Fire, what blazing? You walking with Jesus. All your Facebook subscription verses and preachers, you walking with Jesus. But then your ex come back or something else hits you. 
Some trial knocks you off course, and now you're a season of doing you. You see, the lie we can believe is that if we turn back, turning back would lead to power and freedom. I don't want to be in bondage to that church stuff and that Christianity. I want to be free, free to do what I want. I want to be free. I, I, I need freedom. in my. I don't want to be in this bondage of this Christian bubble. I want to be free. Here's the problem. Your freedom will lead you to slavery. There's no real, oh, I, I, I want to make my own choices, I want my power, I want to do what I want to do, I don't want to be held down by the church. Okay, your power leads you to slavery. Here's what Paul says in verse 9. He says, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? In other words, get the picture? This is not emancipation, this is returning to slavery. This is regression. And how many of us, some of us right here, right now, you've, you, you've turned back to your old way of living. You turn back to handling things on your own. You turn back to ignoring what the Spirit is saying and just operating in your flesh. You have turned back, and the call is, that's leading you to slavery. And it feels like you're smart and you're, 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 you're cool and you're trendy. But that's old. That's as old as the book itself. Taking matters into your own hands. That's not new and trendy. That's old stuff that lead to slavery. Amen. We turn back, not just to Galatians, we turn back to dumb idols that have no power to redeem or even fulfill you in your life, we turn back to that. And Paul's upset about it. This whole idea of slavery is powerful, and I want to now turn my attention to a boost for gospel ministers. Boost for gospel ministers. If you serve here at Gospel Fellowship, or you serve in any capacity, in anything that you do, whether that is our fellowship kids worker, and I tip my hat to all those that serve in fellowship kids, I just honor you and thank you for that. Our, our young people are growing there. Thank you and honor you for that. For set up and tear down teams, for, for life group leaders and D group leaders, and people that open up your homes for ministry, People that, you may say, right now, I don't, I don't do any of that. I don't serve here at GF, but you're just on your job and you've just been convinced that I need to tell my coworkers about Jesus. Or maybe you, you lead us every week in worship or as a musician and you're, you're helping us create an environment where the gospel can be heard and preached and declared. Whatever it is, if you have if something in you wants to see people come to Jesus and you're doing something about it, I want to talk to you. Because here's the question Paul asks as we come to the close. Paul says, did I labor over you in vain? Let me say it the way everybody in the house would get it. Am I wasting my time serving Jesus? Am I wasting my time giving my energy and efforts to ministry? 
when Paul looks at where his people are, he asks, am I wasting my time praying for them? I've been talking to this person. They're coming back. They're saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again to me. They, it seems like from my eyes they have not grown in three years. Am I wasting my time? I got friends that are busting this move and busting this move and busting this move, and I could be busting these moves with them, but I'm, I'm doing this ministry thing, and it's, it's taking up my time and my thinking. Am I wasting my time? I love Paul because he can ask that question. He can ask that question. Paul has planted this church on grace and faith alone, and now he has people that are running back to religion. He can't see the fruits of his own labor. And he's asking the question, is he wasting his time? But look what he says in the next sentence, y'all. He says, I want to read it. Have I labored over you in vain? Brothers, I entreat you, because of, become as I am, for I, I have become as you are. Now, when I read that, I'm like, Paul, you need a better follow-up to are you wasting your time? What do you mean, become like I am, or you before I become like you are? What do you mean by that? Here's what this means. When he says, I became like you, here's what he's saying. He came to them, or when he says, I want you to become like me, he came to them, and what he's trying to get them to understand is, Dude, everything you need for life and godliness is found in Jesus. You don't need a side chick, you need Jesus. You don't need the scheme to, to illegally make more money, you need Jesus. You don't need pornography or, 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 or drugs, you need Jesus. Look at me, and he's not saying look at me in an arrogant way like he got it all together, Paul has his issues, and he tells us about them often, but what he's saying is, look at me, I have, I have bet my whole life on the gospel. I, I've, 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 I've had, if I'm playing cards, I put my whole pile in on the gospel of Jesus Christ, and if I don't win this hand on the gospel, I have nothing. Paul says in Philippians this way, I have count my life as dung. Counted all loss for the excellency of Christ. Paul says to the Galatians, it says to us, be like me. Put all your chips on the table. Be, be, be taken by this message. Find your happiness in the gospel, sanctification. Find your reputation in the gospel, how people view you in the gospel. Count everything as loss for the freedom and joy and salvation that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Be like me. But I love the second part, he says, because I became like you. Paul, what are you talking about? At this stage in Paul's life, he comes to them. Paul is physically sick. He's probably coming off of the heels of being beaten or suffering from some sickness. So he rolls into Galatian, Galatia sick. He's vulnerable and he's transparent with them. He's giving it to them blood raw. He's not hiding anything. He's giving it to them straight up with no chaser. He, he, he's not deluding it in any way. He says, here is who I am. 
He's often on the run. He's often shipwrecked. He's often beaten and stoned. But he says, this is me. And I got, I got one bullet in my gun. Here it is. I got good news. Are you a slave to sin? You can be a son of God. And the Bible says the Galatians, they, they, they didn't look at him or laugh at him or scorn him. They received him and received this message and received Jesus. As I was thinking about this, man, my mind, and I'm almost done, my mind went to uh, one of my mentors who recently passed away, Pastor Daryl Johnson. And he told me of a time where he had a friend that was a missionary in China, and the friend was having some issues uh, breaking into the culture, getting some inroads into relationships with the natives there. He couldn't, he couldn't penetrate. And he had been there for several years. And he calls Pastor Darrell, and he says, listen, man, I'm, I'm about to come home for a furlough, which is what's called, that's, that's, the word furlough means when missionaries come off the field for a period of time. He says, why are you coming home so early? He's like, man, I'm done. I can't, I can't penetrate the culture. I can't get into these people's home. I, I, I just can't. And so he, he, he says to, or PD says to him, well, let me come. Let me come and see if I can help you. You got to know PD. But, but day one, day one of him being on the field, he is in the native's house frying chicken in their kitchen. Now, PD is a short uh, African-American man from South Carolina. <laughs> He's in the native's house frying chicken. It was his ability, his, his awesome ability to say, hey, here's who I am. He never met a stranger he didn't know. And he's like, this is me, busted issues. This is who I am. So if you're going to receive me, receive me. If you're not, you're not. But you're not going to get a fake version of me. Here's my home. When I met him, he gave me the keys to his home. And he said, Rodney, you're coming off the road. I'm not going to be home, but I'm going to leave a key for you under the mat. Go in my house. Who does that? If I did do it, I'd be like, all right, give me time to prep. Sweetie, come here. Let's make sure some stuff is put up. Fresh towels in the closet. No, just, just, just come. I'll be there shortly. He lived this transparent, vulnerable life so people can see into his life in hopes, not that they would be impressed by him, but impressed by the Christ that redeemed him. And here's my encouragement for you this morning. Your life may be too closed off. No one can see the real you. Maybe you've, you've risked nothing for him. Paul says, when I came to you, I was busted up. I gave you all I had, and you received me as an angel of God, he says. Beloved, that's how we must be, where we live, where we work, where we play. We got to be transparent and vulnerable. Yes, we, we must be willing to sacrifice for the greater good. Woe unto you if you build a nice, clean life that people could admire from afar and your children condemn you within your home. 
but live a life that in the good and the bad and the ugly, not that it's perfect, but I'll be honest with who I am and where I struggle. And if I have resources, I'm not just using those resources to hoard it up. I'm using those resources to be open for the kingdom's use. So they got to be glorified. And what do the people do for it? They condemn them. Here's a boost for gospel ministry. Folk, people going to be people. If you're going to do the gospel work, they're going to talk about you. That's a given. <laughs> Comes with the territory. Get a position and see. Take a title. Many get title, talk about you. They go together. And I mean, Paul says, listen, when I came to you, y'all received me. But now, he says, if I would have asked you back then to take your eyes out and give it to me, they would have did it. And now they condemn them. It's called gospel work. Ignore the people that condemn you and keep serving the people God's called you to serve. 